Welcome back to another Ag Watchers. We've got myself, Andrew Whitelaw, also known as uh, Wheat Watcher. We've got Matt Douglas, also known as Meat Watcher. And the two of us are combined now called Heckle and Jekyll by the Animal Rights Fraternity. That's so, right. <laughs> and we've, we've, got a, we've got a guest on today. We've got the, uh, the leader of the grains industry, um, a farmer from Quambatook, Brett Hoskins. Brett, how's it going? You're going well. Good to be here, guys. And the uh, the harvest went well for you this year. Yeah, look, I think particularly the east coast of Australia, growers were pretty wrapped with 2020. Um, and look, even the west coast, you know, there's some pretty good outcomes over there off um, off what they thought wasn't enough rain. Um, so even this year, 2021, heading into, there's a lot of optimism about. It's a pretty exciting time for the grains industry at the moment. Yeah. Speaking of that WA, that was quite a surprise actually, because it really turned around in the end, and there was a lot of surprises. And I guess it just shows how good our agronomy is nowadays. That even with a minuscule amount of rain, we can still produce reasonably good crop. Yeah, I think even the growers themselves, at at, you know towards the end of the year, had you know were not given up on the season. They knew they were going to get a crop, but they didn't have great ambition for it. And then bang, you know they they given 15 million tonnes a, a, a fair nudge and, and they're saying, oh, actually, maybe we can grow grain on, on a lot less rainfall than what we than we ever have before, a lot, certainly a lot less than what our parents ever did. So, um, and that's a, it's a real testament to the research and development in the industry and as much as anything to the growers who actually apply that research and development in the paddock on their farms. It's pretty exciting. I wonder, I wonder how much of it as well, though, was just that almost perfect timing as well. Like it just, it just, the little amount of rain that happened occurred almost as it was needed. It was sort of like just in time. You couldn't have ordered it better. You know? Yeah, I think that's, that's a huge so, part of it. And look, what I've seen on, on my farm in years before too, where we don't necessarily get a lot of rain, but we time it pretty nicely. And, um, and there's been quite a few years where we, we get a bit more rain and we don't time it near so well. <laughs> so um, that's the joy of, of being in a rain fed industry. And, you just and, put you just put your order in with the bureau, do you, um, Brett, and just go. Uh, we do we need it now? Can you get something happening, or is that how it works? Uh, I think uh, I was just saying before. I think my life will be defined by broken promises from the bureau of meteorology. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of harvest, we're actually not that far away from the next harvest. Really, you know, seeding. When, when are you going to start seeding? Because we've got rain on the way. You know, it's traditionally Anzac Day, but that seems to be getting earlier and earlier when, when are you putting in yeah we, we've already scratched in a little bit of um vetch just for sheep feed over the last few days on the promise of one of those bureau of meteorology forecasts um so he's hoping that comes up comes off and we get a bit of early feed uh probably our main program look i, I sort of reckon we'll get easter out of the way and and you know i'll start to get itchy feet probably soon after um i've got to get fertilizer home next week um and make sure i've got chemical and seed uh, cleaned and ready to go so um that's about halfway through that process at the moment so probably mid-april i think we'll we'll have a key turn somewhere i'd reckon and then it all starts over again <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you turn the key it's hard to turn it off i reckon hopefully that fertilizer was already pre-ordered uh hosco because um you know you um you had a bit of a rally didn't we in the in recent weeks so 
I did. I'm, I'm one of those growers who gets a phone call from the reseller, you know, probably about, you know, early December, I reckon it was, and still sitting on a header and the last thing I want to be thinking about. And he said, Brett, I think you better put an order in. So I did. And um, yeah, I'll thank him now. Well, I won't thank him. I'll still complain about the price of something else. But uh, it's, um, yeah, it has been a, a pretty good. I mean, as much as anything, just to know that we've got it, um, because there are some real concerns about making sure growers do get fertilizer this year. And I think I think it is one of these things where that decision on fertilizer used to be January, February, March, but it has to be made earlier now. I think it almost it almost I reckon in a couple of years' time people will be thinking about next year's fertilizer in September and whatnot, and yeah. and, and forward ordering where where you can. Yeah. So so Brett, you're also you're we've we've talked about the farm, but you're also a director of uh, grain growers, chair of grain growers, yeah, no. chair of grain growers, yep, yep, so. One of the big things that grain growers has been doing in recent recent weeks, or, or, or the grains industry in general, and, and the Australian government is the WTO World Trade Organization looking into the barley tariffs into China, something that's plagued us for the last probably two years, really. What can you give us a quick rundown on that, like what what it means? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I'd imagine most of the listeners would know that you know this started, you know, oh way, way back in 2018, um, we got notice from the Chinese government that they um, there were some allegations of dumping of Australian barley into the Chinese market. Um, and then a week or two later, we had an allegation that, um, hey, you're, you Australian farmers are paid, paid subsidies outside World Trade Organisation um, rules. We found both of, both of those claims absurd and from a grower point of view, the second one even more so, um, and went through the process with the Chinese government of submitting evidence um, you know, a whole lot of grower information, a whole lot of trade information was shared with the Chinese government. Um, they then processed that and it was last year, um, you know, when we we're all sort of starting to get locked down about um, the 19th of May, that China actually imposed a tariff, which um, a tariff on both of those those allegations. So um, the anti-dumping and also the countervailing, which is the sub subsidies of the farmers. Um, and so on the 19th of May, we received an 80.5% tariff on any barley from Australia going into the Chinese market. Um, effectively, that closed the market to Australian barley. Um, you know, to, to have to pay and um, to have to allocate another 80.5% of the, the price of a commodity on on top just to access the market, it just shuts the market down. So we went elsewhere. Um, a lot of barley now goes to Saudi Arabia, and um, nothing go, going to China of note. Um, and I guess we saw growing trade tensions um, throughout last year with China. Um, and in December last year, the trade minister at the time, Simon Birmingham, um, about two weeks later became Dan Team, but at the time it was Simon Birmingham um, initiated or referred the case um, of the dumping and, and countervailing the tariffs to the World Trade Organization for an independent um, ruling over it. So we're in that process now. And, and there, was, there was some news the other day that came up because yep. because it was it was a 90 days or something for the initial nation to nation discussions or something yep what's, what's so, um yeah and I've, I've been in trouble from our policy team from describing it like this but i'll get in trouble again it's kind of that first 90 days it's kind of like couples therapy for trading partners um you know both countries sit down and and talk about the issue talk about their grievances and um you know see if there's a they can kind of find a way forward between so, you know the, you, you the didn't put, you didn't put the bins out 
you didn't, yeah, you didn't empty the dishwasher. <laughs> exactly. And, um, we, we watcher and I have similar, you know, stats from Tom Desheim, um, yes, particularly when he uh, makes errors on articles and stuff, and you know, he has to withdraw from our uh, employee of the month award. And you know, so, but we yeah, luckily we like each other enough just to to make it work, though. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a relationship made in heaven, Brett. <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, the Chinese relationship, like those conversations, were really like they were productive. Is the feedback we've got, they were cordial, but they didn't result in an outcome. Um, so we're still faced with the tariffs, and so the next step, once so that sort of initial mediation or conversations have failed, we then move to um, Australia formally requests the World Trade Organization to form a panel that will um, hear the case that will sort of oversee and, and I guess go through the, the process with the countries. Um, so that request was made uh, last, earlier this week, sorry, um, and uh, of the World Trade Organization. So that panel is basically three individuals um, with expertise in, in trade and, and the topics agreeable to both countries, Australia and China, and they will then start a process where they, they have discussions with both Australia, China, look at evidence, look at what's happened, taken place, and um, and hopefully they will uh, come to some sort of determination. Um, from then, you know, there's, there's opportunities for appeals and that sort of thing, but um, we're in that calling for a panel stage at the moment. And generally, like I looked at some of the data from, from WTO investigations, it's generally about a year a year and a half roughly before there's any sort of resolution form. So that's what we can probably expect. It'll probably take as long as it as it takes really. But I guess I guess my, my next sort of question was there's been a lot of a lot of people are in support of um, of taking China to WTO. And and I personally think it's the right thing to do because we haven't done anything wrong and it should be investigated. But maybe that's just my view of you do the right thing. Uh, but there seems to be quite a, quite a lot of people who are sort of not not a majority, but a, a large minority who think that it's we probably shouldn't be taking them. We shouldn't be sort of you know pulling the tail of the dragon, so to speak. But why why do you think it's important that we actually take them to WTO? Or, or actually, I actually answered it for you. But do you think it's important we take them to WTO? And if so, why is it important? Yeah, look, I I do think it's important we pursue it. Um, for very similar reasons, uh, Andrew. But um, you know, I've I've also gone through that cycle of emotions in my own mind about should we, shouldn't we? Um, and looking at a lot of the evidence, looking at a lot of the discussions that have taken place, um, you know, the the counter side is we we are very exposed to China in both agriculture, but in Australia in general, um, they're a close neighbour. Um, you know, we've got this this partnership that goes back to gold rush days and things like that, and we don't want to injure that. Um, if we can help it, the reality is that that relationship is already fractured, um, you know, for whatever reason that may be. Um, for me, it's about if we're a country that, that um, has certain values and, and um, holds to those values and one of those being free free and open and fair trade around the globe, we, we don't believe in subsidies. We don't believe other countries should, should unfairly subsidise their farmers, nor do we believe our farmers should be subsidised. So if we if we hold true to those values of fair, free, and open trade, um, to walk away from a breach of those values, um, particularly one that involves us so um, so comprehensively, it just doesn't quite seem like it's it's almost saying, well, we hold true to those values sometimes instead of saying yeah. we hold true to those values and all the time. Yeah, 
So subsidies, that's another another interesting one. We, we, we sort of, we, we have got relatively low subsidies, you know, what sub 2% subsidies and a lot of farmers don't realize that we do have subsidies because we think we've got nothing, but we still have 2%, but it's still a far cry from the majority of the OECD, which is more like just shy of 20% of their income. And some countries, it's just, it's crazy to look at it. And I'm obviously a European technically, or I guess I'm not European actually. No, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Are you eligible I, for Parliament? That's probably I, the question. I, I'm a I'm a former former European as of as of first of January, but you know you get some of those countries like Norway, which are like 45 and above percent subsidy, and it, it's pretty crazy that we are so efficient that we can make it work on on two percent subsidy. But then I was just thinking about you know at least we're not Argentina. Who has a negative subsidy of about 35% because the government takes so much off of them. So, but but I guess when it comes to subsidies, like it has been a decline since probably the 80s as we've moved to free markets, and it seems that we've slowly fallen from about 15% to like 2%. And and the OECD has fallen as well. We've stabilized at 2%, but the rest of it seems to have stabilized at like 17%. Do you think there'll be much movement in that downwards from those other competitors or is there too much protectionism, I guess? Yeah, look, uh, I think we're, we're unique in that we, you know, when you, when you compare us to a lot of countries around the world and, you know, whether it be our, our political system, whether it be the influence of our growers, I mean, we don't blockade major capital cities like they do in, in parts of Europe and we hear about and that sort of thing. Um, we just concentrate on doing our job, growing our crops, producing our livestock, um, those sort of things. Um, our farmers probably a little more focused on doing what they do best. Um, you know, I, I can't see, I can't see an environment where farmers are necessarily crying out for subsidies here in Australia. Um, in terms of other countries, I think all growers would like to see them reduced. I don't know that we're necessarily going to see that. But I think also most of the growers I talk to are resigned to the fact that this is a this is a world we live in, this is the globe we live in, and you know we we need to operate, we need to focus on what what we do, extract productivity gains wherever we can, um, and and sort of make sure that we're producing a quality product that people want to buy, that our markets are, are keen on, and you know that that can go out and compete against those subsidised nations around the around the globe. Um, what would be nice from a grower point of view is to to see a government um, or to see governments, state, federal, um, more committed to, you know, ensuring our, our rural communities uh, survive and thrive, um, our rural industries survive and thrive. And by that, I'm not meaning paying subsidies. I'm meaning building, you know, Hospitals. strong and robust freight networks and, and efficient markets and that sort of thing. I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there that we're really looking for governments to step up in that space and it'd be, it'd be lovely to, to see that happen. So there's, there's a good segue. You know, we're talking about what governments are doing and, and generally what governments do are announced in their budget, which will be coming out soon. One, one, of, the, one of the submissions, I believe, that you guys put out at Grain Growers was an ACCC investigation into grains. What's, what's the background to that? And what, what, I guess what is the, the, the scope that you think should be looked at? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, as, as the Australian wheat industry, uh, we, the single desk was removed in 2008. Um, we're now 2021, 13th birthday of that. Uh, 
we've never actually taken the time to kind of you know lift the hood of the of the industry and say what's going on in here you know did we get the settings right did we did we create the um the right environment make the right decisions for a, a thriving and efficient um you know uh, uh i guess um non-statutory market uh, you know did we did we you know are the things that are taking place now you know are they are they working for the best interest of of efficiency and um and productivity and and you know i guess you know markets particularly as we're starting to talk about um uh you know i guess more transparency from consumers are demanding that about their food do we have transparent markets do we have transparent supply chains and i think um I think the ACCC are absolutely the right organisation to do that, to kind of have that holistic view. Um, but they need to be prompted by government to do it. They need to need to be a make sure they've got the funding and resources to do it properly. There's no point sort of just having a quick glance saying, "Oh, it doesn't look too bad." You know, if if you want to really check out your car, you get a mechanic who's going to crawl over it and maybe spend a bit of time and and do it properly. You don't want you don't want him to whack a new oil filter on and, and out the door again. You want him to make sure that that car's roadworthy and fit for the purpose it was intended. Um, I think we want that, the same thing for our grain markets and and our supply chains and and making sure that we've got efficient efficient um, avenues to get our product from our farm to to the end user in the the safest, most efficient and um, way possible, and make sure that everybody's rewarded for their effort along the along the so, way. So, so it's less of the when people think HFLC, they think you know an inquisition. So it's less an inquisition and more of a review, really. More yeah, of a, more, more of an update. Yep, yep, understand where we're at. And, and and even, I mean, we are looking for recommendations around, hey, you know what, guys, if you tweak this, you would have a more efficient industry. And, you know, a more efficient industry might, um, you know, might add another dollar or two of value to, you know, whether it be to grow or whether it be someone in the supply chain. And and over the, the millions of tonnes produced in Australia every year, that's that's pretty big value back into, into hopefully growers' pockets. What what I'd like to see, and this is just just my view, is I'd like to see more more data available, and that's 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 obviously a bias as <laughs> Matt and I being data analysts. More more data is the better, but I but I look at countries like well, I look back to the UK. The UK has got a minuscule grain trade, but they have so much information readily available that you can grab off of the government website. Uh, or the AHDB, which is the equivalent of, say, GRDC or MLA type of thing, uh, the old DEFRA. But you can access so much data so easily, and you can analyze that to make better decisions. Uh, and the same in the US, Canada, even Brazil can get good information. Um, but other than the ABARES report and a few other pieces, which are, which are good, and I still think the crop reports from ABARES are, are, are good, it'd be good to get more stuff like export data, a bit more fluid, that type of thing, so that we can actually have, you know, a better idea of 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 what things are happening on the ground, so that farmers can, you know, potentially make a bit more, bit more cash and, and keep a bit more money on the table effectively. Because at the moment, it's still quite grey, I think, big parts yeah. of it. I think you're right. I think growers are, are actually looking for that information so that they can um, recognise trends and spot trends a little earlier so that we can adapt our businesses to to suit future trends. And maybe it's even adapting to suit markets. Um, you know, is it that we should be 
growing different pulses to suit the, the rising vegetarianism? Is it that we should um, maybe, you know, with the China situation, should we be focusing more on a, a feed grade, higher yielding barley? Um, you know, should we compromise a bit of quality? And um, I, I just think we, as growers, we're looking to understand those trends. We're wanting to make sure that we produce a product that people want, that they value. Um, and if we, if we have that transparency and that data that you talk about, then it gives us the ability to, as individual growers, to be making those decisions and to be looking for varieties and opportunities at sea. We also want to know when a trade is short so we can gouge them when they're trying to fill the boat. Absolutely. So, yeah. But no, it's, that's sort of pretty much covered everything, Brett, that we were sort of looking to cover and gives us a good insight into, you know, the thoughts of grain growers. And and like it's good to to know about that ACCC. Good to know the WTO, and hopefully we'll get a resolution. Because otherwise, if we don't get a resolution, the tariff is until 2014, not 2024. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. A, now it's um it's a long time. And look, there has has been some good things come out of having the tariff there because it has forced us as an industry to kind of lift our eyes above China because sometimes you get so focused on such a big market that you you miss opportunities elsewhere. And, you know, we've seen the first shipment of, of Australian malt barley go to Mexico, um, hopefully improve the taste of our Mexican beers along the way. Um, and, you know, that's, a, that's what we understand is a, a trade that's continued beyond that first shipment. We're seeing Australian traders look at other markets around the globe. Um, so th there are some opportunities out there, but you know what, wouldn't it be great to be back to um, back to China and back to someone who is such a long and established trading partner and, and just restore that relationship? You know, I'm a relationships person. I, I get a little frustrated when I see that breakdown. And um, for whatever reasons, for whoever's fault it was, I'm not blaming anyone. I just I just like to see it back to where it was. I think as many doors open as possible is better. And I think, I think to a large extent, a lot of growers don't potentially realise is that we've really dodged a bullet this year. And that we've had some issues overseas that have caused the overall grain complex to rise. We won't go into details about what's caused that, but it's only been a couple of issues which has caused us to have, you know, a grain price that generally wheat and barley is priced quite well, considering the fact that we have a huge crop. And, you know, if if those issues hadn't occurred, our barley would be more likely to have a one number in front of it than a than a than a high twos. And, and I think that's something that we've been saved for this year. So the farmer still gets a reasonable return. But if those events hadn't happened, it would have been, this year would have been very much a big production, low yield, yeah, your low price year, which we saw in 2016, which yeah. to be fair, actually resulted in the anti-tumping tariff. <laughs> so, so, so like, I think it, the quicker we can get it resolved, the better. But I think having this time has allowed us to open up new markets so that next year, because no one knows what's going to happen next year or, or this year in terms of pricing, we, we, we have those markets. And, and like you say, Saudi being, we've got the lion's share of all of the Saudi business for the last four months, basically since harvest. And that's long may that continue. Yes. And we, we've got a big export program ahead of us, there's no doubt. Um, you know, there's estimated around about two and a half million tonnes of wheat every month going out of Australia, another million tonnes of, of barley every month. And that looks like continuing right through to harvest of 21, um, which are some big numbers. And it's really exciting. It's exciting for the industry to see, you know, that sort of production, see our supply chains working at capacity, seeing that, that uh, uh, 
I guess, wealth coming back into the industry. But at the same time, it means we do have a big task and there's a lot of exposure in that 12-month period to whatever may or may not happen in Northern Hemisphere, even the Southern Hemisphere again and here in Australia. Oscar, I was just thinking when you were talking about the ACCC and what you're kind of hoping for, particularly in regards to um, some of the maybe you know, infrastructure type um, improvements or future, you know, future proof in the industry. I just thought if um, ACCC were a bit busy or uh, not, not that interested, perhaps um, it could be something the Productivity Commission could look at, particularly if you're looking for those kind of future leaning recommendations. So, so yeah, Matt, I thought you were going to say with a $5 million budget, we'll do it for 50. <laughs> 50 grand you know. 50 million <laughs> I thought you were I'll, I'll, a bit in there for a minute I'll do it for two and a half right <laughs> I feel like I'm watching Tom Cruise what was it show me the money sure. <laughs> but um yeah look it is something we've talked about the productivity commission uh from the, our understanding from what we've been told by by government and and uh I guess some of the bureaucrats themselves, the ACCC has just a little bit more ability to kind of dive that little bit deeper into the industry. Um, and, you know, as we said, we're not looking for prosecution or anything like that. We're actually looking for opportunities to make a better and more more robust and efficient supply chain. So yep. um, the, the better we can delve in, the the better the outcome can be, hopefully. But, um, the the ACCC has got a much brighter lamp to shine in the trader's eyes. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's. I think there's a bit of that too. Uh, absolutely, and you know, it, it might even be a, a bit of a brighter lamp on on you know any part of the industry as well. So we're, we're all a little exposed if we get the ACCC involved. Because uh, I guess that's the thing. A lot of people get scared when they hear that term ACCC. You know, it's it's almost up there with Royal Commission or or whatnot. And and the last the last Royal Commission into into grains was what was that? The oil for food one. And, yeah, was, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm still waiting for the movie to come out. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, I think we've 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 kept it, kept you a long time, and and Brett, and 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 thanks for thanks for popping along. And it's and it, you know, I, I, what would I like to say? I have seen a lot of comments about internet connections being terrible in regional areas. But Brett, I think Quambatuck must have uh, must have got the decent connection because you you've. You haven't cut out at all, so so thanks to uh, thanks to NBN or whatnot. That's what I think it's a bit of a shared effort by Optus and Telstra in our household these days. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we are we we are fortunate. I can see ta- two towers from where I am, but um, unfortunately, I'm at the end of the farm that does can, can see two towers, and not every part can. But that's the joy of rural living these days, isn't it? No worries. Well, thanks for coming along, and uh, and yeah, just for everyone who's listening. Um, I think it's free to become a member of Grain Growers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my favourite so, price. <laughs> so, uh, well, as a Scotsman, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely my favourite price. Um, so, yeah, get on to the Grain Growers if you're not a member already and you're a grain grower and uh, sign up. Matt and I are actually members of Grain Growers as well. Uh, I think we are potentially the, the, the smallest members of Grain Growers because we just hit the, uh, the 20 hectare cropping as part of our pig farm. Uh, so... <laughs> So, so, so every every member is so important to us, regardless of the number of hectares they produce, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm glad of that. Uh, when, when I when I start sort of uh, asking for my voting rights, <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully we sent you a hat and stubby holder. So. Yeah, I think I've got. I think I've got. I've, I've actually got a bag somewhere of hat and stubby holders from every grain company and every organisation. <laughs> Um, 
I've only got one head, <laughs> unlike Matt. Uh, so anyway, we will leave it there. Thanks very much. Um, as always, um, if you like the podcast, leave a review, leave a like, um, send it to your friends and family. If you don't like the podcast, send it to your enemies. Um, enjoyed the time speaking to you, Brett, and uh, ciao for now. Thanks for coming on, Hosco. See you when you've got nothing on. <laughs> Thank you. Catch you guys.